This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. On this special episode, you are going to get the replay of Virtual Sales Kickoff 2018 with my friends Anthony Anarino, Mark Hunter, and Mike Weinberg. This was our fourth year of doing Virtual Sales Kickoff, and over 8,000 people worldwide watched the original broadcast. This year, we focused on productivity, how you spend your time, because how you choose to spend your time is the greatest predictor of your success, career advancement, and income. And I think you're going to love this message. Before we get started, though, I want to share with you my excitement for my brand new book, Objections. There are very few one-size-fits-all solutions in sales. Complex sales are different from one-call closes. Calling on a business is different from selling directly to individual consumers. You see, in sales, context matters. There's little black and white. Every prospect, sales conversation, territory, company, and product are different. But there's one exception, and that's Objections. As a sales professional, you face objections and the potential for objections, no matter your unique situation. You see, objections don't care about who you are, what you sell, where you work, where you live. If your sales cycle is long or short, complex or transactional, objections don't care how your day is going or if you're new to sales or a veteran. You see, there's democracy in objections. It's a shared reality for every sales professional. So the brutal truth is one that you already know. You're going to get objections and you need to learn how to get past objections. And that's exactly why I wrote this book, Objections, the ultimate guide to the art and science of getting past no. And I guarantee it's like no other book you've ever read about the subject of objections. So do yourself a favor. Go right now to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and pick up my brand new book, Objections. I guarantee that this will be the one book that will help you make more money this year. Now, here is Virtual Sales Kickoff 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to VSK 2018. And gentlemen, here with me, if I'm correct, this is our fourth year running doing the VSK. And if my stats are right, and Jeb, you can correct me, the first year, 2,000 people plus showed up. The second year, 5,000. Last year, 7,000. This year, over 8,000 showing up for VSK 2018. So our little idea here has grown tremendously. And I want to thank everybody for being here. But first, I want to start by thanking our sponsors. First, I've got to start with Chris Beal at uh, Connect and Sell. I just did a podcast with him that'll come out very, very soon. And a lot of people are confused about what Connect and Sell does. And they think it's an auto dialer, but it's not. It's a proprietary blend of human and artificial intelligence that eliminates dialing and connects you to actual human beings. And uh, you guys haven't heard this podcast yet, but when you hear it, it's amazing. We just went stat by stat explaining how you can just be much more efficient because today we're talking about productivity with the time that you have when you're prospecting. It's uh, genius and uh, I love what Chris does. And then I also have to thank our second sponsor, Discover. Dot org or discoverorg.com. They own both of those domains because they don't want you to get lost. I've checked both of them and they'll both get you to the same place. What they allow you to do is close more deals faster by finding, connecting, and selling to your target buyer with the right message at the right time. And they get rid of all the time that you spend with bad data, 
trying to find your way through a corporate switchboard, which is now impossible. I've determined that even my own hack of just going straight to accounts receivable now just gets you voicemail. Cleaning up the data, hand verifying it, which is something that a lot of people don't do. And they have this proprietary combination of uh, technology and tools that will get you the right phone number at 95% accuracy against contact records, which to me, that's a shockingly high number, 95% accuracy. And it means that you get to be productive because you're not wasting your time hunting things down. So gentlemen, this is VSK 2018. I'm going to start by talking about why we're here. And we're here to talk about productivity. And we all know the rules here that this is no slides, no pitch, straight value, because that's what we do at the VSK. Topic number one, since Mike Weinberg is smiling like uh, the cat that got the canary, we're starting with you, Mike. You gave yourself up here. We've got to talk about leveraging time. What should salespeople be thinking about in 2018 with their most precious resource and the only finite non-renewable resource any of us have time? Yeah, it's a biggie. Hey, I want to thank you again, Anthony, for this the whole idea for this virtual sales kickoff. I know the four of us have probably done more kickoff meetings in the last six weeks than we can count. <laughs> As you can see, we're all scattered around in different places right now traveling, and I am in the middle of rural Indiana. So great to uh, have everyone join us. Thank you for being with us. Time, time is it. And I'm going to take a, a little different tact as we start this off. From what I'm observing across all different kinds of sales organizations, I see salespeople spending a lot of time working, but not a lot of time selling. And in terms of productivity hacks and, and getting on a level playing field in terms of how much time everybody's got, I'd like to challenge everyone to really examine what are you doing that's filling up your calendar that's not leading to sales? Because if I was completely transparent, the number one issue I see in every sales team is that the people in charge of developing new business and winning new sales spend a shockingly low amount of time doing it. And they find every excuse in the book not to work difficult, growable accounts or to prospect. And they lie to themselves, um, spending a lot of time doing account maintenance, territory management, covering stuff uh, under the guise of serving, serving clients or customers. But those people are falling really short on developing new business. So I think the first question I would challenge, and I'd love to open it up here, is what are the things you're doing that you shouldn't be doing? What can you let go of? What can you delegate? What are not the high value activities that fill the pipe or move the needle on new business? That's the first hack for being more productive. Get rid of the stuff that doesn't move the needle and spend more time selling. I'm going to pass that over to you, Mark Hunter. Mark, where hey. are you? I am in BWI, and you know, I, hey, this is this is the life. We are on the road, like Mike said. Mike's in Indiana. At least I'm in Baltimore, Washington. So anyway, but anyway, hey, yeah, the sun's kind of coming and going behind me. But hey, that big hack that I that I always ask people is, are you working on not revenue producing, but incremental revenue producing activities? And I think that's what it, so many people hide behind just doing customer stuff. Well, I'm taking care of this for the customer. Yeah, but is it creating incremental revenue? That's what it's all about. Jeb Blunt. Here's, here's what I would tell the entire audience, leaders, salespeople. As a salesperson, the greatest threat to your success is how you choose to spend your time. And what Mike just articulated very well was you're making choices about where to spend your time. Those are your choices. You sometimes blame them on other people or think that you're, you're being told to do one thing and expected to do something else. But you are making that choice as a salesperson because your income is tied to a commission check. 
and sales leaders, and if we have executives on, on the call, the greatest threat to your team, your organization, and your company is how the people on your sales team choose to spend their time. And there are three choices that you can make at every moment of the day on how to spend your time. One of those choices is due to, to trivial things like watch cat videos or to check your, you know, your fantasy football team. You can also choose to do important things. And those are the things that Mike was talking about. Those are choices around, am I going to do customer service or are going to replace prospecting or new business development with customer service? Am I going to answer the boss's email? Am I going to mess around with, with the CRM and do some research? Am I going to do those things? Or you have the choice to make impact. And for a sales professional, the impact is in the pipe. The pipe is life. So everything that you do as a salesperson should be driving impact into the pipe, putting new prospects into the pipe. And the key for managing your time well is front-loading your day with the most impactful things. Because most people, most human beings, is called the law of triviality. Anthony will begin their day with the things that have the least importance, least impact, and they'll save the most impactful things. Those are sometimes called hard things for the end of the day. And the problem is, like Mike said, is that you spend your entire day doing work. And that work is important work, but it's not impactful work. And the impactful things never, ever get done. So my best advice is to take a look at your entire day and figure out how do you front load your day with impact. And by the way, one last thing for leaders, the most impactful thing for your salespeople is putting new opportunities in the pipe. And the most impactful thing for you as a sales leader is to spend time one-to-one -one with your people. So if you start your day spending time with your people and your people start the day with filling up the pipe, you're going to have a winning 2018. Productivity and sales really is just two things. And it has nothing to do with the hours you work. It has only two, two measurements because productivity is the generation of the right outcome. And there's two outcomes that you have to do to be successful in sales. The first is creating new opportunities, which is the impactful stuff that Jeb just said you put first thing in the morning. And the second thing that you need to do is win those opportunities. Everything else is important, but it does not help you be more productive. You cannot be more productive by answering your email or looking at LinkedIn or Instagram or any of these other things. You've got to create opportunities and win opportunities. So let's go back around the horn. And I'm just going to start with uh, Mark because the light has changed on you now, Mark, and the sun is coming in from another place. And you look a little angelic, which we know is false advertising here. It's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about time management techniques. Yeah, well, one of the best techniques that I have is, first of all, to, you know, to pick on, up on what we've been saying, let's really start with that, the key say and Jeb I know you talk about that a lot eat the frog what's the big thing do it first but here's the thing that I love from a time management hack what are the fives what are the fives what are the fives well you get that five minute window in between conference calls or in between sales calls how do you fill that time do you fill it just checking email or do you fill it doing something constructive by making a couple of outbound calls so what I always do is I want to say what are how am I going to fill my fives that I want to have today that to me has been one of the real cool hacks that I found that has increased my productivity as I share it with salespeople. They too embrace that, love it. I took 13 minutes for somebody to use the word outbound on this call. I'm just, I'm just noting that because I think it'll, it'll come up again later is my guess. Mike Weinberg, time management techniques. Yeah, boy, a lot of techniques. One is identifying your highest value activity that either do the things that, that you were talking about a second ago, that either create, advance, or close opportunities. And let's, let's use our calendar and actually make appointments with ourselves to work on those high value activities. The challenge today is all of us, and I don't have my phone within, within reach, in fact, I don't even know where it is, 
Um, we're all addicted. And, and for, for me personally, and what I'm seeing among a lot of top producers, the number one thing they're doing technique-wise is they are fasting from connectivity. They are taking an off-the-grid timeout, which means they're away from the phone, they're away, away from inbound calls, away from playing on social channels, and away from their inbox to do what they need to do. And usually when we're talking about new business development and opportunity creation, that means we are going outbound. There's that word again making phone calls, uh, sending emails, working referrals, working the network. And you actually retrain yourself and retrain others that you're not a customer service person. You are not living in reactive mode, waiting for someone to call you. And you remember that you can move the needle by focusing on the things that you have to. So you just block out the rest of the world for an hour or so at a time. And you own that time and don't let yourself get distracted. It's amazing amazing what you can get done in a short burst when you have energy and when you're focused. And we'll get to it a little bit later when you have a great list and you're really strategic so you're not wasting a lot of time. It's amazing the damage you could do as a sales hunter, the sales hunter, Mark Hunter, if you lock in on high value activities. Jeb Blunt. So to, to build on what Mike said, I believe in, in time blocking, and, and I know Mike and all, everybody on the call, we believe in that. And what I found because of the fleeting attention spans with salespeople and with ourselves because of these phones and all the other technology that's around us, is that if you, if you do high-intensity time blocks, sort of like high-intensity training in the gym, but if you take these time blocks and, and, and drop them down even to 15 minutes, and I, I love what, what, what Mark was saying about take those, take those five-minute blocks and drive activity into those blocks, but if you take 15-minute blocks and you focus all your attention in those 15-minute blocks for, for an activity, and it, and it could be any activity, you're going to get far more done than the person that, say, does hour-long blocks. And we see this in our fanatical prospecting boot camps. We were recently working with a, a client. They they had prospecting Monday, so they had a whole day where they would prospect. And I, I, I don't believe in prospecting days. I believe prospecting every day. But we went in. And we did a fanatical prospecting bootcamp. We did three 30-minute blocks, so an hour and a half of prospecting. They did three Mondays, which would, was eight hours a day of prospecting, so 24 hours. And th three 30-minute blocks with what Mike said, having a, a list prepared, a focus on prospecting. We did more prospecting, made more calls, had more touches, had more appointments, had more positive outcomes. And then an hour and a half, 90 minutes, than they had in the previous 24 hours. And that the problem we have is something called Parkinson's law. And that means that work has a tendency to expand to the time allotted for it. And the salespeople allot way more time for things than they should. And we use something called Hortzman's corollary to Parkinson's law, which says the opposite, that, that time tends to compress or work tends to compress and the time allotted for it. So if you take Mark and Mike's advice and then you, you start compressing your work into short blocks, high intensity, high focus, you're going to get way more done than anyone else around you. I think the reason that people are so productive in a fanatical boot camp is um, they're scared to death of you, Jeb. I mean, you're, well, you're, you're just a scary human being and they would rather just dial and have to deal with what shows up on the other end of the phone than you this guy who lost all the G's at the end of all the words because he comes from the deep South, you know, they don't want to deal with that. I'm going to go the other direction from my peer group here. And uh, I'm going to suggest that you have three 90 minute blocks a day where you do actual work. And that means the work of creating and pursuing the opportunities. And the reason that I'm, I'm telling you 90 minutes is because that is the extent 
of time that most human beings can focus on one thing without having to get up and do something else. So what I would ask you for is give yourself four and a half hours of real work. And then if you have to give the other three and a half hours to your company to respond to the emails, to follow up and chase things, give them the three and a half, but make sure you protect the four and a half. So we're taking a little bit more than half of your time, not, not, not too much more than half, but a little bit more than half. And I think that's fair. When you look at what we're being asked to do and we're being asked to produce a result that requires that we're proactive, that we make outbound calls, that we show up with insight, that we create opportunities and we pursue those opportunities, we need four and a half hours. So instead of the shorter blocks, I'm going to tell you the currency of effectiveness for human beings in the age of distraction is focus. And the greater and the more time that you can focus on something, the greater your competitive advantage. And uh, all these guys will tell you that about them personally. I mean, because they all write books. So I know Jeb writes books in little bursts. Uh, the rest of us sit down and, and do a lot more work. He writes it like three sentences at a time. And I think we're seeing book, this next book showing up. We'll talk about that later. This guy knows how to market. I mean, he's got his book right behind him like that. These hey, other Anthony, guys can't do that. Anthony, re repeat that phrase. I have not heard you say it before that way about focus being the currency. Can you... Can you Share that one more time. That's very powerful. In, in an age of distraction where the phone is chirping at you and you're being notified of, of every email that comes in and people can walk into your office and we have this open door policy everywhere and we have people all sitting in a room together, which is an open distraction policy. You know, it's a permission. The people that are going to generate the best results are the people that can focus. That is the currency of effectiveness now. Can you give your full undivided attention to something that really needs to be done long enough to do good and meaningful work. Thank you. Let's talk about the model sales week. And uh, we're running around the horn, so we go right back to you, Jeb Blunt, and talk about how do we mop a model sales day and a sales week to make sure that we're massively productive? Oh, we lost Jeb Blunt. Mike Weinberg, you're now the host, it says. All right. Uh, Anything can happen when you do this kind of thing. So we're three it's of us live. are still here. It's, it's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's great. Mike uh, Weinberg. Now you'll talk about the model sales week. Yeah, let's talk about, actually, I'm like, you know, you, Anthony, that you love that topic so much. Let me make a, a point about a philosophical point about how to divide our calendar and our brain uh, conceptually, and then I'll, I'll pass it back to you to kind of kick off the, the model sales week. What I'm finding, and th and I understand why, almost everyone in sales defaults to trying to close their hot deals and they put all of their best energy and their best time in trying to get those precious few deals over the finish line so they win i completely understand it's our instinct we can smell the blood in the water we we want to get the deal closed we want the commission what i propose alternatively and i, I talk about this every time i can when it comes to uh, planning and executing the attack <coughs> excuse me finally shaking that winter cold I want us to divide our time in thirds. Hang on. He's choked up about this. This is an important topic. This, you this is going to be good. This yeah. is going to be good. You know, he's, he, he's doing the whole setup. He's doing the whole setup. Holding <laughs> us in. Holding us in. Live TV is awesome. <laughs> so what I want us to do, instead of defaulting to what's hot, what would happen if we simply divided our sales calendar into thirds? And each of those has a really cool sales verb that we've already used that would go against it. Instead of just spending all of our time trying to close what's hot and then what's left over, we give those crumbs to advance those active opportunities. We never get to work on the top of the funnel. 
What would happen instead if we just committed, we're going to divide our world into thirds. If we take one third of our sales week in those, those blocks that you talked about, Anthony, and one third, give yourself to try to close the deals that are hot. And you can give yourself another full third of your sales week to advance existing opportunities and move them into the hot stage. But we all know, and everyone listening to this knows, what would happen if you dedicated a full third of your sales week to working the top of the funnel or even above the funnel to create new opportunities, which is what everyone is starved for. So a third to close, a third of your time to advance, but what if you gave a third of those hours Anthony was describing to create new? What would happen to the balance and health of your pipeline and your deal flow and the consistency of your business? It would be a radical, radical change for most I, people. I, I want you to go back to something that you said, and you talked about when you do it, and do you give your best energy to something that's cold, like prospecting or even above the funnel? Was your What, what were you saying there? Yeah, they don't, because because... We, we, we naturally default to trying to close what's hot. That gets our best energy. And with the table scraps that are left over, we'll go talk to someone where the deal's already kind of in play and it's easier calling someone, you know, that you already got started. So we almost have, if we have any time left, we certainly don't have any passion or energy left for working the top of the funnel, which we all know how hard that is. So I'll throw my one thought in there from the, from the morning perspective and I'll pass it back to you guys as you pick up on the cadence in the week. I think we would all agree People ask me all the time, what's the best time to prospect? And my answer is always simple. The answer is yes. But if you really want my opinion, do it first thing in the day. You know, Mark talked about eating the frog. We all have our own, our own ways and our own phrases we borrowed along those things. If you do the hard work, the third, the creation of opportunities in the morning, it's before the crap hits the fan for you and before the crap hits the fan for your prospect, your connect rates are higher it doesn't get pushed out. It's something that you get done. And then you have the rest of the day to play with closing, advancing, and admin and all those other things. So you, I, I think you got to do it first. Jeb, you uh, you tried to avoid this question by dropping us completely. And I mean, normally you have a lot to say about things like a model sales week. Uh, you're back. What are you thinking? I, well, you know, it's what I find interesting about getting people into the mindset of setting a model sales week, and I, I'd encourage sales leaders to get with your team and go through the process of building out your model sales week. I, I did this with a group of people recently I was training, and we were in the training session, and we were talking about all the things we're talking about, front-loading your day with prospecting and how important that is. Everybody's shaking their head and nodding their, de- their head. Why you shouldn't start your day with email, which is, Anthony, I know is one of the, the your, your big rules. Everybody nodded their head. You know, we, here are the things that make the most impact. Everybody nodded their head. And I said, great. Okay. So we're going to take up, do a breakout, and we're all going to get with on our little boards, and we're going to start and, and basically block out an entire model day. Here's what your day is going to look like. And everybody went their way and they went through the process and I turned around to get everybody to report back out. And every single, we had six different teams working on it. Every team had started their day with administrative work. So it goes beyond just nodding your head and saying, Hey, I get this. You have to actually do it. And what, what I found was almost a level of cognitive dissonance in that when you had to actually map out and build your day, you had to come face to face with the truth. And the truth is you don't really want to do the things that are tough and are hard and require effort at the beginning of the day. You want to save them to later because you know subconsciously that you can push those things off. So it's an exercise that you need a coach to go through with you. (laughs) 
great for sales leaders and sales teams. But my, my, my belief is that rather than prescribing, hey, here's the only way that you should do this, because I do think things are different for different teams and different people and different roles that are selling. You do have to create a day that front loads the day with impact. We can call it eating the frog or whatever we want to call it. But it has to be something and a system that you can live by. And whether it's blocking in 90-minute blocks or blocking in 15-minute blocks, you pick what works best for you, but map it out and do it. And what I what I challenge you on, and I think that you'll find that when you go through this exercise and you and you sit down either individually with your team, you're going to find that you you go back to well, I got to do my email. Well, I got to call my customers. Well, I got to go, you know, put stuff into the CRM. Well, I got to do all these things. I got to do paperwork. I got to have coffee. I got to respond to the HR emails that are coming at me. You'll, you'll put all of that stuff first. And what happens for most salespeople is that they do that and they wake up about 11 o'clock in the morning and half their day is gone and they didn't accomplish anything. So that would be my challenge, Anthony, is, is as a team following this, 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 uh, this uh, this webinar, um, sit down together and and go through this exercise. It may take you a couple of iterations until you get down to a day that you can agree on that works and then go execute because that's the only thing that's going to change your outcome. Mark Hunter. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to run with this from two ways because it really starts with the sales manager. And what we've been talking about is so many times driven by that sales manager who puts all these, hey, you got to follow up this, you got to do this, you got to get this reporting, you got to get... This is the reason why salespeople, I think, get distracted so easily because sales managers, not only is it them, but then they allow other people in their company to throw all these demands on their people. No, you've got to be the buffer to get that off of their plate so your salespeople can be focused on incremental activity. Now, here's one other piece, and I'm gonna gonna expand this, this, this timeline to the year. Sales managers, right now in the first quarter, this is when you've got to be going out with your salespeople and making four-legged carpool sales calls, helping your salespeople uncover new opportunities, big strategic opportunities that you can close this year. For those of you who are watching this that are more of of an account focus, this is really critical. Your sales manager can go in with you, can ask questions that you can't, can get different answers, can can just, what they're gonna do is they're gonna uncover insights. That's where you as a sales manager are gonna help bring incremental value to your salespeople. First quarter of the year, helping uncover strategic opportunities. I don't think that anyone uh, watching this is going to have their sales manager come to them at some point and say, listen, I know you only turned in half of your quota this year, but you did a meticulous job taking care of your email and we're sending you to President's Club. Congratulations. That That is not going to happen. And I, I don't know why we have this drive to live in our our email box. I mean, there, there's nothing there for you. And I know people think, well, what if the client emails me? You, you, you're going to check it in 90 minutes. They've got your phone number. They've got you in their cell phone. They're going to call you on the cell phone if it's something important. If it's an email, they didn't need your attention right now. And uh, I've decided personally that if I'm willing to die with 273 unanswered emails in my inbox, I'm willing to live with 273 unanswered emails in my inbox because uh, I wasn't put here on this earth to respond to emails. As, mu- as much as I like communicating with people, it's not a good use of your time. I-, I think what you heard here from this group, though, is you've got to decide what's important. You've got to block the time, and you've got to have a model that says what is most important, even if it's most difficult, comes first. And then after that, I can give some time to my organization. 
Anthony, if, if, if I can, one second, you, you mentioned something because I think this is important for the focus piece. There's a question that I ask salespeople all the time who say that, oh, well, I have to, I have to have my phone in front of me just in case a customer calls or just in case that, you know, there's a customer service issue. The question I always ask them is you go on meetings with your customers and they go, yeah, you do demos with your customers. They go, yeah. I said, well, in the middle of the meeting with the customer, would you say, oh, Anthony, could you hold on just a second? My phone's ringing. It's another customer. I need to take this call. Would, would you do that? And they laugh at me and go, no, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. Well, what you're telling me is that whatever comes in while you're having a meeting with a customer can wait until the end of that meeting. But whatever comes in while you're having an appointment with yourself, one of, of, of Mike's recommendations, well, that has to be handled immediately. And I love what you said about the currency of focus. This is it. You have to decide what's important and be able to block the time out and recognize that there are very few emergencies in your day that can't wait for a 15 minute time period or a 90 minute time period for you to get to. And all you got to do is just think about just reasonably about how you manage the rest of your life when you're not sitting there all by yourself at your desk staring at a list because you got to call some prospects and have the potential of getting rejected. Remember that time we were together in Atlanta doing a keynote and you were talking about attention and I pulled my phone out and I was just looking at my phone for about eight minutes while Jeb talked and I looked up at the audience and they were horrified. I mean, there were daggers coming out of their eyes. And, uh, and then Jeb and I just both laughed just to show you. I mean, this, this thing is such a distraction from human beings doing the work that they need to and giving somebody or something their full attention. You got to break yourself of it. Okay, we're moving on to topic four, better listen data. And uh, Jeb, I've tried to start with you. Last time you ran from my prompt uh, and immediately dropped the signal to get away from answering the question, but you can't escape this one. I want to talk about, I mean, there's a factor to prospecting and being productive that comes from, are you prepared to do the work? Have you done the work to pick your strategic targets? So let's talk about the importance of making sure that we have what we need to do the work that allows us to be productive. So the key is with prospecting in particular to be efficient and effective. So I don't buy the the quantity versus quality argument. You need to have quantity and quality. So as many prospecting touches as possible in the shortest amount of time with the greatest possible outcome. And the better your list, the better your outcome. That requires some preparation up front. So you have to you have to, to, to do your research, do your preparation, build your list before your prospecting block. If you're if you're researching while you're prospecting, you're not prospecting. And, and then you have to manage the prospects in your data in your database so that as you make prospecting calls and gather information that you you begin building and making that 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 data better. And, and then my team uses one of our sponsors tools, Discover Org. We we love that tool because Discover Org allows us to dip into a big pool of data that is human verified. That's what I like about Discover Org is their people are making the phone calls and reaching out and making sure that the numbers and the information that they have are right. So we spend, we, we basically direct dial into executives offices, the VPs of sales that we sell sales training to, but my team uses that data. And then we use our prospecting calls to make that data even better. And then we have a better list and a better list and a better list. And my prescription is something called the prospecting pyramid. And that is that you begin your prospecting block with your highest value, highest probability prospects. So meaning that I'm, I've got the highest probability of, of setting an appointment or selling them something and then moving down the list with lower value prospects or lower, lower information prospects. And I'm using that, that time to gather information and to, and to make my database better. And if you, if you follow this process, if you use 
great data and and there are tools like discover org that i love because of that if you do that and you constantly make it better what happens is that about 20 percent of your prospecting block is around setting appointments or engaging prospects and about 80 percent is taking the data that you have and gathering information that makes it better so that you can get in front of the right prospect at the right time with the right message and that's that's how I teach people to do this. It's a it's an ongoing system that never stops. And that five minutes that Mark talked about, you got five minutes in between a meeting, carry a list with you and make five calls and just ask them some basic information. And all of a sudden, those five calls, that information gets better, and maybe those go back to the top of your phone block the next day. You you uh, you talked about our sponsor, Discover Org, and I'll just share a little bit of the podcast coming out with Chris Beal. Um, I asked him if I was to make an hour of calls a day, how big would my list have to be to make an hour of calls uh, using his system? And his system's a different kind of system, but uh, I expected it to be a really large number. And he said, you you would need 200 to start with. And and I expected, you know, I'm going to need a couple thousand to to do this kind of approach. And it turns out that the quality of the list as it gets better and the new connections that you're making and the conversations that you have, Jeb, actually reinforce the, uh, the, the pursuit. People understand that you're pursuing them and your data is getting better and you're having better conversations and it ends up being uh, worth one appointment for every hour that you prospect uh, at minimum. So that's what the stats show. The stats on all this stuff are really interesting and it, it, it makes sense in my mind, to separate out these two concepts, research is research and prospecting is prospecting. And you well, need to do the yeah. research. But then when you build the list, you're done and you move on and you do, you prospect. I'll give you a great example. I was working with uh, a group of uh, insurance agents in Southern California and one of their vice presidents came in who hadn't made a cold call in 10 years. And he brought with him a list of 50 prospects. And we, we dialed list over a, a period of two days. He dialed the same list over and over and over again. And at the end of that, that period of time, had booked 11 appointments. But his very first prospecting block, he didn't book anything. He just got some information. The second one, he didn't get anything. It wasn't until he made the third and fourth attempts with better information and more information that he was getting in the door. And, and when you talk about Chris Beal and Connect and Sell, so you take Discover Orbs information, that data, and you plug that into Connect and Sell, which is this really cool way of, of moving through a list. And it list gets better and better and better and better and better. And what happens is, is your prospecting becomes almost um, a guarantee. You pick up the phone, you reach out to people. It's the right time to, with the right windows open. You ask for an appointment. They say yes, because people are going to meet with you when there's a reason to meet with you. And you know there's a reason to meet with you because you did the calls and the prospecting up front that got the information about the buying window so you could get in at the right time. So it's a system, and you're exactly right. It's the data and the system that all works together along with using your time wisely so you can make those things happen. And, and, and when, when, you're, when you're employing systems like this and you're getting better data and you're being more efficient, I mean, it's almost serendipity, Anthony. I mean, it's just amazing what happens. Your, 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 your pipeline goes almost exponential. So it's like a hockey stick. Let me, let me We're not going to be able to restrain Mike Weinberg any longer. He, no, you know, he, can't, he can't take it anymore. Well, I, there's some, you guys threw out so many gems there. I just want to repeat them. I don't want to blow through this. I know we're talking about productivity, but there were some prospecting truths that both of you guys tossed out there that Mark and I want to go, amen. The first thing Jeb said about five minutes ago, when you're researching, you're not prospecting. 
And then Anthony, you said it a different way. Let's not fool ourselves. People, there are so many sales folks who use research as a, an excuse not to pick up the phone. You have call reluctance, you're fearful. Research is not prospecting, research is research. It's why in my framework, the new sales driver, selecting your strategic targets is step one. And if you don't have a strategic finite list from which you're gonna work, I say you're just playing at it. You're sitting on your butt, you're in reactive mode, you're waiting for something to happen. The moment you decide to be strategic, intentional, proactive, you need a list, you do the research up front, and then when you get in your prospecting block, you prospect like crazy, that's point one. And then Jeb, you just said something that was priceless, talking about your client that you forced to make uh, prospecting calls. And over time, he was able to schedule those 11 meetings. Because there's a truth that nobody wants to hear. Prospecting often doesn't work on the first attempt. And that's why all the idiots in our business like to throw stones at the prospecting and the phone because they don't know how to do it. You, the truth is you earn the callback, you earn the meeting through perseverance and creativity. And because you've been strategic in who you're targeting and you make the effort to get them on the phone, you keep working to earn the appointment. The person who calls you back is someone who you had a really good cadence and you left a sequence of value creating messages where you drip little nuggets from your story and you've earned the conversation because you've teased them into it. So I just don't want to blow by that because we have so many clients, all of us, that are starved, as Anthony says, for new opportunities. And some of it is so simple. You need a list, you need the tools, you need the time block, and then you've got to put the time into it because it's the prospector who puts a dedicated effort in that earns the meeting. Mike, Mike Weinberg is very much like uh, Dr. Bruce Banner, who, you know, once you release the honey badger, you know, then all of a sudden he shows up and he's going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. feels kind of like this, you know, like getting smacked a little bit. Mark Hunter. Hey, Anthony, yeah, Anthony, I got to jump in with two things. First of all, tomorrow begins today. Put that as your screensaver. You, you create your prospecting list the day before. On what everybody's been talking about, this is the whole garbage. People waste so much prospecting time because they're researching. Hey, pick up the phone and make the call. Just do it. And, and the other thing that's so interesting, if you really think about it, I think the reason a lot of people fail in prospecting is because they don't stick to it. Prospecting creates momentum. We've got a great stack of tools, great stack of tools. But unless you put them in place and use them continuously, like Jeb was talking about with that sales manager, the first round, nothing. Second round, eh. momentum creates momentum. And I think that's why the four of us are all incredibly passionate about prospecting, which blows a lot of people's minds away, but we're passionate about prospecting because we know the power of momentum. I want to know what Mike's got in his hands over there. You got a big stack of paper. I was looking through some notes and I'm sucking out of halls trying to lose this tickle on my throat. <laughs> myself muted. All right, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to move us forward. We have a, a couple other topics before we wrap up and we're going to run out of time before we run out of things that we want to say. So I want to really quickly, just once around the loop here, talk about artificial intelligence and technologies boosting productivity. And I'm going to start with you, Mark Hunter. Well, hey, AI is here and, and, and it's tool. And here's what you want to do. You want to embrace AI as it comes out. And think about it, there's a lot of AI tools. out. Google is essentially AI. But here's the whole thing. Don't get so caught up in AI and use it as an excuse. Well, I, I want to wait for this to get better. No. <laughs> Go first and let the tool catch up with you. That's one of the key things. We got to wait and make sure he's done. He's done. Okay. 
you, you, we lost you for a second there. I'm Jeff sorry. Lund. That, that was AI. That was AI. <laughs> I, I had this belief that there was a wave of technology rolling over sales and the, we're, we're, it's crashing over us and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. And, and the, the key is for salespeople and sales leaders and executives is to embrace the technology that's coming your way and make really good choices about it. There are so many tools out there that, that look really cool, but they don't work very well. It's one of the reasons why I was on a radio interview recently and somebody asked me what my favorite productivity tool was on my phone. And I said, my favorite productivity tool is a sticky note and a pen because every day I write down the three things I have to do the next day and I put them on the mirror wherever I am. And miraculously, those three things always get done. I don't have to go into my, my, my phone to find any of that. So be careful that you're not replacing something that's just rational and normal with technology. But the flip side of this is that you can't be a salesperson any longer, anywhere that says, I'm not really that good with computers. In fact, that's the fastest way out of my door in my company to say, I'm not good with computers. You better get good with computers and you better get good with technology and you better do it fast because the group of people that are not good with technology are going to suffer in the future. There's a middle group of people, and we're seeing it right now, and I think it's the thing that drives us crazy, is we notice there are people who replace human relationships with technology. They, they don't make a call. They don't make a, a, an effort to engage another human being because the technology, it, well, it just takes care of everything. And I see these, these I'll say, I'm trying to say this nicely, these, these misinformation gurus sitting out on LinkedIn and other social media all day long preaching this stuff. But the problem is sales is human to human. It is, it is interaction with other people. And that leads me to the third group of people that are going to use technology and AI to spend more time with other people. They're using it to take away repetitive tasks and things that, uh, that, that take away their time, including things like research, so that on the flip side, they're carving out time in their day for human-to-human -human interaction. And those are the folks that are going to rule the world in the future. They're going to be the people that make the most money. They're going to be the people that makes them make the most change. They're going to be transformative because of the way that they've integrated technology into their day versus allowing technology to control their day. Mike Weinberg. I yield the floor to you, Senator from Ohio, Mr. Anarino. Sexting is not going to replace actual sex. That's all I have to say about that. You can tweet that if you want to. It's been tweeted before. Uh, I, uh, I think I am tweeting it now. <laughs> I think this is exactly right. It's exactly true. I mean, the, the reason that you leverage automation and technology is so you have more time to spend with human beings because that email that you want to send and certainly that email from your CMO coming out automated is not going to create a preference to work with you or to work with your company or to buy your solution. Okay, we're in the home stretch here. So just one more topic for us to cover, and that is pipeline velocity. And I want to talk about stalled deals and the loss of productivity and how we unstick things. Starting with you, Mike Weinberg. Yeah, boy, lots of places to go with this. <clears throat> it's interesting timing because just uh, earlier this week, I was with a client doing pipeline reviews and we were talking about deals that had gone south and doing kind of the post-mortem on, on what had happened. And I reminded them that sometimes the best thing we should do when a deal is stuck is to go ahead and do the post-mortem now because usually, and I'm going to feed this back to you in a second, Mr. The Lost Art of Closing, the 10 commitments we need a game from customers to advance the sale and bring them value. When the pipeline is clogged, and a deal is not moving, it's usually because along the way we didn't do something right earlier. 
So my strongest coaching for pipeline velocity, aside from put more stuff in the top of the funnel, which forces things through and sell with an abundance mentality where you own your sales process and going back to Mahan Khalsa, let's get real or let's not play. You know, sometimes we need to slow down the sales process to speed up the sale. And all of that is the backdrop to say, a lot of times we skip steps. We didn't meet enough stakeholders. We didn't really identify the compelling reasons or build an ROI case. Or even if we think we did, our customer can't articulate them. Or we didn't meet all of the right influencers. And there's reasons that the deal gets stuck. So my best coaching for, for Velocity, aside from keep putting stuff in the top and sell with an abundance mentality, which means there will always be more deals. So stick to your sales process and don't just do what the customer tells you. Don't rush to the demo stage. Don't rush to the presentation. Just because they want a quote or a proposal, it does not mean it's the right time to do it. Follow your process. But when you're in the pipe, just call a timeout and look back and ask yourself, did you build an ROI case and did you meet all the right people and was there consensus and did you flesh out obstacles and challenges and objections? Because those are the things that when we don't do them, they come back to bite us in the butt later and that's when deals go dark. Mark Hunter. Well, there's a couple of things I want to add, add to that and it's so brilliant. We're not asking the tough questions up front prospecting. Many times what happens is if we don't uncover the outcome, well, why should we not be surprised when it gets stuck partway through? We've got to be understanding what is the outcome and what is the urgency of, of the deal being closed. That is so critical. When, when stuff gets stuck in the middle, it, it goes back to how you began the prospecting. There's another piece that, that blows me away. And sales managers, I'm going to call you out on this. When I see in pipelines all of these deals that are going to close at the end of the quarter, well, well, wait a minute, why are customers going to suddenly buy because it's the end of your quarter? Excuse me. There's a lot of smoke going on. So a lot of times what's happened is these pipelines are plugged because salespeople are, putting, are keeping stuff in their pipeline because you, the sales manager, are calling them out if they don't have enough stuff in their pipeline. Hey, if it's not moving, it's dying. Jeb Blunt. I'm putting that on a bumper sticker. If it's not moving, <laughs> it's dying. Sounds like our, this is like a, a Southern kind of Ricky Bobby quote there. I love that. Hey, I'm just happy to help, Jeff. Happy hey. to help. Jeb, Jeb, I've got your line from last VSK on my bumper sticker. The pipe is life. Jeb Blunt. So, the pipe is life. The pipe is life. Well, that's a great segue. So if you think about deals that are stalling, there's there's usually three reasons. One, it wasn't a deal to begin with. You either did a poor job of qualifying or maybe the the, the buyer that you were dealing with brought you in and, and wasn't being upfront and truthful. Sometimes deals just stall. And there's nothing that you can do about that. That brings me to pipeline, what Mike said. If you are constantly putting new stuff into the pipe, if you are driving pipe, it fixes all the other problems. It pushes deals out of the pipe that are stalled or not moving forward or are not qualified because you don't have time to deal with people who are not willing to engage and move forward. And the third reason is that you're not getting next steps. That is number one. If we take all of the, the noise out of it, you're leaving meetings, leaving demos, leaving first meetings, leaving presentations, and you're not asking for and getting a firm next step. And let me explain what that means. A firm next step is on your calendar and their calendar. It is something that both of you agreed to do. There is a spot in time or a point in time where you are meeting again, making a thumbs up decision or a thumbs down decision, but it is something that both parties have agreed to. But most of the time, your meetings are ended in these wishy-washy, call me maybe, passive week ways 
And they're doing that because you don't have a pipeline that's full. And when you don't have a pipeline that's full, you're desperate and you need to have something to hold on to. So you pack a bunch of stuff in you, into your pipeline and put it in the forecast. It's never going to sell because it makes you feel better, but it's all a lie. So here's the one thing you can do. You, you leave this this event, the virtual sales kickoff, and you go back out into the field or get back on the telephones. And on every single call with a customer, you make one rule, your rule. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave a call with a customer or, or, or walk out of the door with a customer if I haven't asked for and gotten a firm commitment for a next step. And if you don't have a firm commitment for a next step, you either have two things you have to do. One, you got to walk away and move on to something else. That goes back to what Mike said, going in with a with the spirit of abundance, there's always something else out there. Or you need to sit back, maybe grab your sales manager and make some adjustments because what you're doing is not creating engagement with your prospect. In other words, they're telling you, I'm just not that into you. All, all good answers. I, I think that the the one question I would challenge you to ask when you look at deals in your pipeline, if you want to be really honest with yourself and with your client, you need to first ask your question, how am I going to lose? I'm, I'm tired of hearing how you're going to win. I know you think you're going to win and I know you think that you've got some competitive differentiation and that they're really engaged with you. But the fact of the matter is you need to say, how am I going to lose? Did they really commit to change? Do we really have all the stakeholders? Are they giving me access? Do I even know what the buying criteria is? I can't tell you how many people don't even ask. Look, when you make this decision, what are the most important factors going to be and how are you going to weigh them? I mean, you just ask the question and they'll tell you. The, well, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but this is probably going to be the most important. You're helping them shape their thinking around it when you're sitting there. So think about how you lose. And if you think about how you're going to lose, then you'll start shoring up all the things you need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen. So don't always just think about how you win. Think about how to not lose and not do anything stupid. That's the time that we have. Go ahead. Wait, 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 wait. One more thing, just in case. If you have, a, if you're having a hard time, like getting to the next step, people are giving you ob objections to getting to the next step. There might be a book out soon that will help you get past those objections to getting to the next step. But but this one's out oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> Gratuitous book plug. Oh, do, he has a book with him at the airport. What are the odds? <laughs> he, he's got a blank wall. I found it at a bookstore here at the airport. <laughs> okay, so I first have to thank uh, discover.org, a fabulous sponsor, done a wonderful job for us. I appreciate them being here and their product is absolutely worth your time and attention. You'll get a link to that and you'll get a free trial. Also, Chris Beal and Connect and Sell, uh, just a very, very bright guy and You'll see the podcast come out soon after this. And if you want to understand the metrics around productivity when it comes to prospecting, I make Chris go through all of them in painfully uh, detailed uh, uh, approach. And it's really worth listening to. It changed a lot of the things that I thought about and some of the things that I thought I knew. So this is VSK 2018. And now stay with us for the after show. And this is the after show. And gentlemen, I have to start by saying it's about, what, two months away, less than that, for Outbound Conference 2018 in Atlanta at the uh, CNN, right? That is exactly right. And, and exactly I, right. if I'm correct about this, too, there are two VIP tickets left. 
Wow. There are only two left, Anthony, two. I can't believe it, but, uh, and there won't be any more. There are no, there's no room left in the end for VIP. What, 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 what if, what if somebody begs? If you begged and pleaded, there is no possible way you're getting a VIP ticket. Two right, tickets. So just for everyone's sake, we, I know we have a handful of, of regular tickets left, but there's hundreds and hundreds been sold. What is, let's go over the VIP package real quick because it's kind of cool. It's a very different experience for those people. So, Jeb, why don't you take a shot at that? Yeah, I mean, the, the VIP package is so cool. You you get to come in uh, on the night of the 10th. That's the night before the, the main event conference. You get to hang out with us. We have a big reception, um, free free liquor, so that, you know, for if you're into that, it's, it, we, we take care of you there. You just um, sold the last two tickets with that. Yeah. I'm <laughs> oh, God. There's a, like, uh, I'll drink more than the price of the ticket. <laughs> that evening, you get a private book signing with us. So you get a copy of all of our books and we uh, we sign them for you. And you get a special VIP swag bag. So we got some really cool stuff going in there on the, at the main event. And this is a huge room. So we've got the entire um, ballroom at uh, the uh, Omni CNN Center. And it's just, it's a massive room, but as a VIP, you're going to get uh, seating right up front. Our VIPs last year really appreciated that because they were right in the mix of everything that was going on. And, and then you, you especially get, when you started calling them all by name, I mean, we were calling them all by name. We, yeah, well, we when, know you, when, when you started we were talking shooting them with t-shirts too i mean it was you, know. they get, you get t-shirts and some other stuff then you have a private lunch with us uh, on the main event so we have a big big buffet lunch for everybody but there's a private plated lunch for the vips uh, on the day of the main event and then all the uh, vips score a ticket to all of the training tracks on the following day and there's a whole lot of other cool things that we do along the way for our VIPs, and but but it's it's massive love and a lot of uh, a lot of interaction that you get. And there are only two left, and I, and and I, and I mean this when I say it: if you called and begged, there would be no more because we just don't have any room for any more VIPs. And, and mostly because we're giving such individual attention and private attention to our VIPs. If we blew it out and made it super big, that would it would take away the um, the, the the I guess the specialness, if that's a word, of of the experience itself. It would ruin the VIPness of the VIP. The it would only be a V, not a VIP. Yeah, that's, yeah right. that's it. So outbound, April 11th and 12th at the Omni at CNN. <laughs> Uh, a, a spectacular site for this too. I mean, unbelievable. It's a great hotel. Uh, been I there. Believe, I can't believe the number of people that are writing to me telling me they're coming back. They were there last year and they're coming back. And I know that the tickets are very affordable and it's a, it's a chance to be together with other salespeople, but I'm, I'm really encouraged. And I, I just want to say this, and I'm going to be as gracious as possible, but I've never seen more chaos in the sales improvement community than we see right now, because there's a lot of people that claim to do what we do that are in the death throes. And um, I, I would just throw out to people, you, you know, you know, the folks out there that are, that are really busy helping clients. And then there are a lot of people sitting in their basement, spending a lot of time on LinkedIn posting comments. And I would be really careful about taking sales advice from folks who claim their, um, the validity of what they're telling you is based on how many people like what they put in the comments or what they post on LinkedIn. I, I see a lot of pain in sales organizations and I can't believe the things that I'm hearing preached. So if you want truth about prospecting, about productivity, about pipeline, check out Outbound. You know, you know what, what's interesting about that, Mike, is when I was talking to Chris Beal, 
I, I was just thinking while we were talking about the effectiveness of cold calling and the low percentage of yeses you get. But, and, and we recognize how low those percentages are. You know, I would love it if it's 100%. But as a content creator and somebody who does content marketing, at a pre- fairly aggressive pace, I would say, personally, uh, think about how many people see that and don't raise their hand and never reach out to you. I mean, the effectiveness is no greater and uh, and certainly it's too passive and too reactive. And I'm, th- the reason that we started this conference is literally because there are so many myths and so many lies and so many, you know, uh, six minute abs, get rich quick, you know, have the life you want with no effort. And, uh, you know, that those, all of the stuff that's being said, it just isn't true and it isn't going to serve you. But if you show up here, uh, you're going to get the truth. You know, I, I was talking with Chris a couple of weeks ago on the phone and he made the comment that he was there last year, you yeah. know, at Outbound. And he said right away, he said, I've got to find a way to be part of this year's Outbound and picking up on what Mike said, the number of people I've been hearing from that are coming back, it does kind of blow. We all text each other back and forth every day. I mean, we're busting each other's chops. But if you think about the number of keynotes that the four of us have done over the last year, wow, the message we're going to be delivering this year is going to be three times better than what it was last year. What, what, based off the thousands. What, one, one last word before I hand it to, to Jeb. When, uh, Jeb, when I was talking to Chris Beal, he showed up at the first conference and he said, it's really hard to do a good first conference. He goes, my expectations for you guys were so low. <laughs> and I said, thanks for that. He goes, you knocked it out of the park. We had no idea it was going to be that good. I thought that was funny. Well, that's why Connect and Sell you know, stepped up this year as our title sponsor. Uh, Outbound is presented by Connect and Sell. And unlike a lot of the other conferences that are out there, the thing that I, I love about Outbound is that we have, we have two sponsors. We have Discover Org and we have Connect and Sell. And the reason we have two sponsors is so that the, the, the people that are coming to the conference can get upfront and personal with technology and platforms that we believe connect to our core message and help salespeople. And I, and I know that the four of us, the one thing that I know to be true about us is that we live and die to help salespeople make more money and you know, have a better lifestyle and build their careers. And, and I know that's why it pisses us off and we see these morons, excuse my language, on social media. I mean, a 26-year-old who has never sold anything in their life telling people that they need to quit prospecting. I mean, that's why we built the conference in the first place. So we have, we have, we're not selling the mic to people. It's, you, you've got real contributors. And that's why we've got folks like Sherry Levinson, Deb Calvert, uh, James Muir, and uh, Larry Levitin, Levine coming in and speaking uh, at the conference, doing training tracks. This is real value. And sure, we, you almost married Larry there. You almost married them together. Right. They were close. It's, this is value, though. This is, this is a different type of conference. It is a rock show for salespeople. It's the type of conferences that, you know, that we used to go to when, you know, when Zig Ziglar was, you know, was, was on the top of the, uh, of the podium. And, uh, and we had, you know, uh, our, the top of the, uh, in the Olympics on, on the stage and, and Tom Hopkins and Brian Tracy and Anthony Robbins. We brought that back. And, and we've added to it real content that will help you make more money. And I'm, I'm passionate about it because I'm, I'm just, I, sometimes I just have to, you know, just turn my, the, my computer off because there's so much bad information for salespeople on the street, mostly nope. from people who couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag. Don't, don't leave yet because uh, I, I, the book Objections isn't out yet. 
I mean, it, it it's not. That's a cover. It's beautiful. It matches the fanatical prospecting cover and the sales DQ cover. I'm just making observations here. I'm just saying this. The book is not out yet. You have a giant book behind you with uh, objections on it. Um, Anthony, size matters. <laughs> Uh, it's a can, big book. You can buy the book now. You can buy the book. You can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and you can get objections now. You'll be the first person to get it. It's like your own VIP ticket to how to get past no. So taking all the oxygen out of the room with fanatical prospecting wasn't enough for you. And then you pile on sales EQ like a year later. And then you you go into hiding and and come out with this. What's the release date on the book? It'll be out in uh, in mid-May. Mid-May, later than I thought. Okay, so we have a little bit of time. time. I'm just warning everyone to expect to see this book cover behind Jeb from now until May, 100% of the time. He he is a book salesman extraordinaire. And I went and I looked at your fanatical prospecting last week on Amazon. And of the 8 million books that they sell, 8 million, uh, you're 2,100 out of 8 million books. Amazing. We, we applaud you and we bow to you, sir. Thank you. Four, year, four years later. Four years hey, later. Uh, Anthony, I, I, I do believe right behind you, you have a stack of your two books. So let's not <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you, you're, you're not exactly being quiet about your two. And hey, it, you know, if you haven't bought the books, you got to buy them, right? I'm, I'm focused on book number three right now, which is due to the publisher on Tuesday morning. So book three, Eat Their Lunch in October, slightly behind uh, Jeb. Is that the name of the book? That's the name of the book. I love that name. That's some, you haven't told me the name of the book. Could say that one more time. Eat their lunch. Oh, um, that's I, I so think good. I think I, I think I'm going to come out with eat their breakfast. How's that? He's going to jump ahead of me a few hours. Jeb, I knew you would like it because it is a book about competitive displacements, and I think the the interesting thing about all of us here is that we've been in businesses that growth actually required that you take clients away from your competitors. And this is the first chance I've actually had to write the level four framework and the building consensus framework and the prospecting campaign framework all in one place. So it's, uh, it's going to be cool. Mike Weinberg, you're a little behind us, right? A little. Yeah. I got a couple of big things going. My, the biggest thing I'm, within a month or so of launching the new sale simplified online video coaching series, we put a ton of work into this. We, there's just more demand for me to talk and do workshops on, new sales simplified than I can get to. So we are launching the video series. So there'll be lots of news on that coming. And I am this close to announcing uh, my third book deal. So I'm, I'm looking forward to putting the pieces together and it'll be out in early 2019. I know what that book's about too. Yeah. You, Mike, you it's it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Mike, if you'd hurry up and announce your book, then I'll announce my book right after that. So, you know, got to <laughs> okay. give everybody in the runway. got to give everybody runway there. Hey, I'll tell you what I'm seeing. I'm curious what you guys, I mean, we've all been, I, I was counting airplanes and I stopped about two weeks ago, but I was up to like 23 airplanes I was on this year. I'm seeing people connect on the phone. I'm seeing voicemails get returned. I'm seeing young rookie salespeople who are going from incompetent at getting meetings to competent in a very short period of time where they're, they're picking up their messaging and they're doing their time blocks and they have their list and they're getting their voice right and they're combining other methodologies and they are getting me. What are you guys seeing right now? <coughs> I am really encouraged in spite of the noise and nonsense. 
how laser focused. I'm seeing the same thing. I think people are actually coming back to the phone. They, they, they got sold this uh, shiny object stuff and people are coming back to the phone and, and they are picking it up. We still got a long ways to go, but I think our evangelism out there of the phone is starting to make a difference. So it works. Yeah, I think yeah, I flew 57,000 miles in January. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've barely seen home and I'm spending a lot of time I'm, with. I, I talked to you probably three to four times during that period. And let me just say this about you. Uh, you weren't a very pleasant human being a lot of the times. No, I wasn't. I wasn't happy. <laughs> I think one time it was midnight wherever you are and you're in a car somewhere. I was not happy. It was it was a tough it was a tough run. January, February, March, uh, we're just packed I and mean, we we've got event after event after event. What what I'm seeing more than anything is when I look at what people say on social media about how people respond to training and respond to new ideas and what I see in reality is that people are hungry, they're starving, they're picking up new ideas, they're putting them into practice, and we have a long way to go. I'll give you a great example. This, this past week, I got an email from a young SDR at a company. The email was pretty good. I mean, the subject line was good and the first sentence was good, had, my, had information about me in it. So I opened it up and looked at it. I wasn't sure if it was relevant, so I wrote him back and asked a question, but I put an Easter egg in right below the question. I put my cell phone number right below the question. And, and, and he emailed me back. Uh, and I, by the way, the, so the, the signature line said that I sent it from my phone. So he had my phone number on the phone that I had just emailed him to. He emailed me back and I didn't respond to him to, to kind of teach him a lesson. Then, then two days later, he sent me the obligatory, you know, I've sent you an email, but you didn't respond to me. So I'm sending you another email. And then I got a third one and then I got a fourth one. Uh, and, uh, and, and then I ended up getting the kill letter, which is, you know, I'm never going to write you again. So, so your offer is me, accepted. Part of me says, yeah, people are getting it. They understand. And part of me says that we've got so much work to do to help people get past their emotional hangups to picking up the phone and having a conversation with somebody. Hello, Anthony. See, it's this easy. You just call his numbers right there and you're like, Jeb, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about that email. What do you look like Thursday at uh, two? I'll walk you through those. I can do two. Sounds good. Thank you. Yes, sir. Use the phone. Use the phone. It's easy. Use everything. Use everything. That's what makes me so mad in this when we get in these arguments, which we have kind of stopped doing on LinkedIn because it's clear where this is playing itself out. We never say don't use social. I got a lot of clients from social. I write an article. I put out content, something on Twitter. I mean, I get it. I, we love social. We're not antisocial. We are definitely antisocial. We are anti-moron and anti moron <laughs> Because... Wow. And I'm so tired of the, uh, this one situation we had earlier this year where someone was criticizing old guys who write books and no one gets anything out of books. Please, please, the stack, the stack of letters and thankful and thank you notes that we get from people that are, have turned their careers around because now they have a process and a framework from all the stuff that all of us on this, on this meeting and plus some other of our friends are putting out. There's lots of good sales content out there, but be careful. Be careful. There's a lot of people out there. I don't know what their agenda is, but for some reason they think if you don't do it their way that you're old or you're a Luddite or you're a fool. You know, it's, Be very it, careful. 
about what you read on LinkedIn. Be it's, very careful. It's interesting to me, Mike, because I saw something go by this week in, in one of the feeds that said, you know, salespeople need to start creating content every day. And I'm thinking, okay, first I do that. It's not easy to do, number one. But you just think about if you're in the pharmaceutical industry or in medical in any way, shape, or form, you're allowed to write exactly zero blog posts or content a week, exactly zero. If you're in financial services, you're not writing anything. And if you do, it's going to say, whatever I say here can't really say anything because I can't make you any promises at all. And I can't tell you about any results we produce for anyone else. There's nothing that they can say. And just imagine, you know, this kind of word is going out to a guy who's got a sales force of 850 people. Is he going to have 850 blog posts going through marketing? I mean, how, how do you do this? It doesn't even make sense. It's not necessary. And I think that there's this, this misunderstanding that because it works for some group of people who can over-index on that kind of a platform, it works for everybody. And well, what nothing blows me works for is that, Well, what blows me away is a guy that's, that's telling people to create all the content is buying advertising to get people to pay attention to his post about creating content. Well, the last time I checked, buying advertising is a marketing job, not a sales job. And the 800 people, are they each going to go to Facebook and buy advertising for their content? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if you're look, if you're if you are an you know you own an insurance agency, or you're a dentist, or a lawyer, or you're create you know, content. You, you create content. If you sell books for a living or speeches for a living, you create content. It makes sense to do that. But but that's marketing. And yeah, I know the line between marketing and sales is you know is getting blurred to some extent. And salespeople are picking up some of uh, of the weight of of marketing. But you're exactly right. There is not a, a CMO anywhere that wants 800 salespeople writing blog posts for them. Now, there are some tools out there they can use to help salespeople post content and create stuff. But it's it's a losing battle. And you know how hard it is, Anthony. Nobody posts as much content as you do. Nobody, nobody in the world writes like you do. Maybe Seth Godin, but other than that, um, no one else. And he's kind of your, your twin. So y'all look a lot alike, maybe the same person who can do that. Like, I don't even know how you do it. You're superhuman. I can't create content. Like you said, I write a book, I write three lines at a time and then my brain blows up and I got to go on to something else. So you're, you're asking salespeople and telling salespeople to do this stuff. And mostly it's because, and this is, you know, Mike, I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate this, but it's mostly because a single human being has one, one lane of experience. And then they say, well, this lane of experience then applies to everyone else in the entire world. What a bunch of bullshit. Excuse you know, me. Look, and here's the thing. And, we, and all of us have clients. And I mean, I have some of the most sophisticated companies in the world that I work with. I can't even talk about it. I got one client. I'm not even allowed to go pee by myself when I'm in their building. And they take my phone and my thumb drive away. Like, it's classified stuff, okay? And we got super high-tech companies that are flying us around the globe to do stuff. But you know what? We also have clients. I got clients that sell trucks and construction equipment, and construction supply. And you know what's going on in the construction supply world? We got guys knocking on construction trailers saying, hey, can I steal a minute from you? And they, and they give them a little value pitch of how they're bailing out general contractors and superintendents. And you know what those general contractors and superintendents are not doing? They're not on freaking LinkedIn reading articles, and they don't give a crap about what your blog posts are. So, so the moron in Seattle, or Boston, or Australia, and yes, I could picture the three people in my mind that, that, as I said that, who are telling people, don't pick up the phone, don't pop in on someone, don't prospect. And as a rule of thumb that you'd be more productive writing articles, my sales guy that sells construction supply or abrasives from a 3M distributor or the uniform guys, Jeb, from your past world or name it, there's a reality. Guess what? 
those buyers aren't reading content and they're not going 57 or any percent of their way through their buying process. They're dealing with the salespeople that are in front of their face. So these blanket, stupid, straw man comments, statistics, theories are hurting people. And that's why we fight back so hard because it's not the same thing. When I'm in my super high tech client, I got to change hats. And the next day when I'm dealing with a guy that sells trucks and their buyers are not the same, and you can't make these dumb blanket statements. So anyway, we probably, that's why we country. created Outbound. I mean, it was that. I mean, I love that, Mike. But that's why we did this. We built Outbound, and we got people coming from all over the place, all these different industries, because they want to hear the truth, and they want to learn how to sell more, and they recognize that this, this, these, this advice that these people like, I, and I mean this sincerely, they couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag. They recognize that it's harmful and it's hurting them, and they're looking for the techniques that really work. And you know the letters and the emails and the testimonials and the phone calls from the people who went to Outbound and put it in place and went back and actualized it, we know that that truth makes a difference in people's lives. If, if our message did not work, why are we on the road traveling so much in Thank so much Lord. demand, meeting with so many companies, so many, it, it, it is, something is, yeah, I mean, believe me, I, I hate these people, Jeb, as you say the lane, I call it the bubble and they live in a very small bubble. I was with a company last week, average salesperson, 300,000 plus. The VP of sales does not allow any of their salespeople to have more than a LinkedIn profile. That's it, that's it. Because they're in an industry that they can't play in social media, period. And they're all crushing it out there in their industry. Amazing, that's awesome, Mark. That's I'm, I'm glad we were able to get everybody all worked up here. That was good. <laughs> Let's send the salespeople back to work. Yeah, but Let's yeah, send but people it's a back hot to work. Yes. Yeah. Uh, closing, hey, no, no. closing remarks. I'll go. Connor, you want to go first? Yeah. Hey, I'll go. First of all, go to outboundconference.com and get your ticket if you haven't. But here's the whole thing. Every day, what are you doing to create incremental value? Incremental. And I hope that's what you've received here from BSK. And I'll tell you what, I love hanging out with these four guys because you know what the value of us hanging out together is? We each challenge each other, and if people could could catch up on our on our Twitter on, on our on our texting stream, the way we bust each other's chops. You know, the game gets elevated all the time. That's why I love hanging out with you guys. We're gonna have a kick at outbound. Jeb Blunt. I'll be brief. Oh, I'll, let me go. I'm gonna be real. Be, I'll be real okay. brief. I'm learning from you guys every day. Uh, this is my message to the salespeople: Don't blow this off. I'll tell you, 15 years ago, I went to a Brian Tracy conference with one of my clients and I was taking more notes than any of the salespeople that work for that client. And I thought, isn't that foolish? I'm the sales expert. I'm the sales coach and I'm the one learning from Brian Tracy. And I hang out with these guys because I got gems from each of you guys today. And my message to the, to the salespeople and the sales leaders, there are at least 15 one-liners and 25 topics you can take and bring to your next sales team meeting to unpack the simple things we talked about, about prospecting and productivity and time and lists and calendar management and cadence and whatever all the fun entertainment we gave you here in this after show. Like, put this to use. You are not struggling because of some great new theory you don't know. You're not doing the basics. Make your list, spend more time selling, make it happen. You can easily implement any concept that the four of us have shared with you today. Go do it. Jeb Blunt. So, yeah, well, my favorite line of the entire day has to be Mike Weinberg. And you can you can just tweet tweet this at Mike Weinberg. We're not antisocial. We're anti-moron. I love that. So, <laughs> that's, so that's awesome. 
we we really want to come. We want to meet you and face to face. And the truth is, is that we're on the road all the time, and we're all, almost every event we do is private. The best way to meet us face to face, and when you come to Outbound, we're in the in the crowd. We're out there with you. Is to to come to go to outboundconference.com and pick up your ticket. Outboundconference.com. And I want to make sure that we say a special thanks to uh, Discover Org. Go to Discover Org, and I'll send out a link uh, to you, everybody on the on the on this event later on. That'll give you a link to go take a test drive, and. Same thing for our friends over at Connect and Sell. We love these two companies. We love their platforms. They are fantastic uh, people and organizations, and their tools really do work. And I, I can say this with uh, with all sincerity because we use the tools and we love them. And uh, Anthony, thank you so much for hosting us and facilitating this and being the um, the, the the brains. Uh, you are the smartest man in sales, but the brains behind virtual sales kickoff and outbound. Because without you, none of this would have happened. I, I just want to tell everybody to bring their phone with them to Outbound though, so they can tweet us for sure because they're going to love that. But more because what do you call that thing that we're going to have that's behind us where we can take pictures with everybody? Uh, you call it a, a step and a step and repeat. Step and repeat. Step and repeat. I think it is. We're going to have that. So we're going to take selfies with everybody. And uh, Jeb, I just want to just pile on what you said. This is like this is an intimate setting for all intents and purposes for us. So show up and uh, we'll be sitting right next to you and talking to you the whole time we're there. So I hope to see you at Outbound. And if not, uh, you'll hear from all of us later on. And we'll see you at VSK 2019. I should try to close you guys for an appointment for uh, VSK 2019 right now so your calendars don't fill up.